Hello, hello, welcome to the Pava Show. Today, my guest is Nat Measley. Nat and I first met at the Third Nature Adult Summer Camp, where his infectious energy captivated me. Nat Measley has dedicated his life and career to making learning more engaging and fun. From a young age, Nat learned about the benefits of creating new ways to learn. Today, Nat and I will dive into workplace culture and design. Welcome, Nat. Yeah, hi, Pav. Shay, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm excited. This is this is like one of the first podcasts I've ever done, so I'm very nervous. Also, long overdue. We scheduled this about a month and a half ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, Nat, tell us a little about what you do. Yeah, for sure. Um, and um, and let me preface too, PV. The reason that I'm nervous relates to what I do, and the main reason that I'm nervous is I have a sleeping dog right behind me on a couch, and so at any moment much like in today's modern working world, that dog could get up, poop all over the couch, (laughs) run around the room, and I'm just going to sit here and carry on as if nothing has happened. Yes, Um, I think that's uh, indicative of your stress reactor. You've got that shit under control. (laughs) That shit under control. Um, And so that is what I do, PV, is... Uh, I've dedicated my whole career to this concept of making learning more fun and enjoyable because it isn't always that way. Uh, and so I found myself in this in this working world, consulting with, working with companies, young professionals, entrepreneurs, um, companies of all sizes from small startups up to Fortune 500 on, on how they can intentionally design a workplace culture that works in today's world. Um, as you can imagine, working 100 years ago versus working 10 years ago versus working today and 10 years from now will be very different. So, yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's that's the exact question that came to my mind. Like, How has workplace culture changed over time? Because we look at time, say, let's say the early 1900s, we're going through the industrial revolution still. Workplace culture is, you got to fucking work. We're still in survival mode as the whole of humanity. Uh, like, And we're working mode. Um, then we hit the Great Depression. And then we're even further in survival mode. Eventually, we get into the 40s and 50s, where the culture has changed. Now, America is thriving. Many argue that that is the golden age of American history, where everything is bright colored, we can afford a lot of things, but workplace culture is, I suppose the best example is Mad Men, where, you know, men are dominant and women have to take, I suppose, what is considered today in today's culture, sexual harassment. Um, And then we move into the eighties where we have like the whole Gordon Gecko era, greed is good, um, and into the nineties where we're booming in the market. Mm-hmm. And then we have the dot-com bubble where eventually uh, companies like Google are formed and their workplace culture is completely different. That's all of a sudden they're giving the young people what they want and now workplace culture, that, that's the bar that's been set. Workplace culture is like colorful bean bags, nap pods. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you'll love this answer, right? PV, my perception is workplace culture has and it hasn't (laughs) changed um, over time. And it has because it's different or it looks different or it functions different for different people. Um, Or we know more, right? Like this body of research around human development and our brains and our minds has also gotten better. Uh, We've learned more about ourselves as humans and how we work and how we live but it hasn't changed at all. <laughs> we're all a function of the environment in which we're in. And so work is a part of that environment. Um, and so where maybe we we created that divide years and years ago between work and, and life, you know, you hear this phrase often in the world that I live in, work-life balance. What's the perfect work-life balance? Which kind of implies that we, we can do either or on either end of a seesaw somehow. But to me, work and life have have always been the same. And that's for me personally. And it's also for a lot of the companies with whom we work who are are trying to figure that, especially now 
when the dog's on the couch behind you. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So you say that like your work-life balance is the same thing. And I would argue that work is like this extension of life, just like hobbies are an extension of life. And time for uh, mindfulness is an extension of life. So like, these are things that I make room for in my life. My work is not my life. And yet it is at the same time. Yeah, I think, I think it can be, Um, you know, I think people dedicate different energies to their work uh, that, um, that maybe someone else may find absolutely ridiculous. Like someone out there may work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year. Um, and like, and that is their life. <laughs> and that's how they, that's just what they do. It's, you know, for whatever reason they've chosen to dedicate their life to be like that. Um, and that's okay. I think that's fine. Uh, a lot of the, like the research in workplace culture, you know, the big like data point that we use is employee engagement scores. <laughs> um, and a lot of the questions on multiple engagement surveys that, that we answer that determine how engaged we are or how much time or energy or effort we're, we're devoting to that work are questions that deal with um, like things that have nothing to do with how much I'm getting paid or how much time I'm dedicating to this, this working world. It's about like having friendships at work, having your opinions matter, um, feeling like you're important and like you have the, the tools to do the job you're supposed to do. Uh, so um, yeah, it's, it's definitely an extension and it's interesting to look at it through that lens. Yes. I mean, so, you know, two, two stories come to mind. One where I spoke to someone who was um, mid-level management and I asked them if they enjoyed their job and they said, no, not really. It just pays my bills. Mm -hmm. I could like see the light was dim within them. And then I spoke to a janitor at a hotel one time and he's, I asked him, do you like your job? And he said, I love it. I love my job because everyone walks around here, says hello, asks about my day. I get to meet so many new people and the upper level management, they treat me like family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing how simple <laughs> the solutions are. Um, and what, what we would call or what we talk about in our work, intentional workplace culture design, right? Which means like you're very intentional about all the actions that you're doing either as a company or individually as you're finding your own voice within your organization and how it's affecting the entire working environment. And and so much of it comes back to just those simple uh, things that the way you communicate is a huge one. You know, things that 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 doesn't cost any money, (laughs) right? To be, to ask, hey, how's your day going? Um, In fact, I was just... PV and I were just talking about a couple of my recent travels. I was just on a trip and I met a gentleman from Boston um, who works for a large, you would know the name, financial institution. uh, And he gets the emails on Sunday nights that start with, is the report done? Sunday night. (laughs) Sunday night, is the report done? He doesn't care that it's Sunday night. He said that to me. He said, I don't care that it's Sunday night. He's mid-level management position. That's not what bugs him. He's happy to do the work on a Sunday night. He's got nothing else to do. Okay. You know, the airports, he's not traveling as much. Uh, Places are still a little bit worried uh, with with COVID concerns and and spread of disease. So he's he's not out much. He doesn't care it's Sunday night. What he cares about is the email doesn't start with, hey, how was your weekend? Mm. What's up with the report? And I was just yeah, it was it was it was another moment in time uh, that that helped me to sort of shape like how we communicate with each other in the working world can often be a big indicator too for how engaged someone is. Um, you might you might have said something last week, PV, to someone that that could piss them off for the rest of the time they work with you, like forever. <laughs> That's been known to happen. I like I'm not perfect. <laughs> And even now, even like, I mean, I look back at my time of when I was, when I had my own company and I treated my employees like slaves, I had really high employee turnover um, because nobody wanted to be around. Mm -hmm. And even now I do find sometimes I can be really direct. Yeah. 
And that's not always the best way of communicating with people. In fact, compassion is really, you catch more flies with honey. Although, you know, I would argue why are you trying to catch flies? But, you know, the saying stands. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, well, yeah. And it's important to understand too, I think for all of your lovely listeners out there, PV, where I fall on that continuum. Like I am... I'm rare. And I'll tell you a little bit about my background in history. I know, you know, some, I'll tell one of my favorite stories that I know, you know, um, about why I am the way I am. And I consistently think about this about myself, but like, I definitely fall on the further end of the continuum. That's, that's geared towards like positive response. Let's catch a lot of flies. Let's use a shit ton of honey (laughs) and let's make sure people are happy above everything else. Yes. I have worked in environments specifically um, as a consultant with a program where it was me and three engineers, they did not give a crap about honey. <laughs> um, they cared about getting the job done and the communication was extremely direct, even when we weren't talking about um, uh, thing, even when we were talking about things like uh, that I was working on, like business development sales and the culture development <laughs> within this workplace. Um, and I had to learn that that was okay. Uh, it is okay to communicate directly. Uh, it, it is okay to not use as much honey. Um, I just happen to know that about myself that in, in the world I've lived, in the jobs I've had, it's been a benefit, maybe because of the function of the jobs that I've had too. So mm. that, yeah, that brings up so much. So you said that culture has changed, but it hasn't. So I, I suppose what it looks like has changed, but do you mean that what it feels like hasn't changed? Yeah, I think I think uh, what I what I mean by that when I look at things that haven't changed are like that the things that were important to people years ago are still important to people in their working lives or in that moment of their life that they're dedicating to work. Um, so things like recognition, right, has always been an important part. It's just that in the 1950s and 60s, there may have been uh, like an employee satisfaction survey, maybe that went around with paper and pencil. Um, but but the way that the company might recognize someone would be different, but it would still would have been important to someone um, that they're feeling recognized for a job well done. That still rings true today. Uh, it's just that we have literally thousands of different options and opportunities in how we in how we recognize each other or how a leader recognizes their people. So just when you're looking at just this single issue of employee recognition, right, or team member recognition, it's it's always been around. <laughs> it's not like people didn't used to recognize each other or didn't know recognition was a word and just mm-hmm. walked by each other in the hallway. I'm not recognizing you today <laughs> because I don't know what it is. Um, it was just a different way. But I would argue that that has changed a lot and has maybe like evolved past what we need in some ways. I'll give you a really great example. We just recently started working with a uh, a nurse practitioner in a large hospital system. And this nurse practitioner oversees 45 different nurses. So they're like the nurse manager, nurse practitioner in their role. So their job is no longer needles in arms. Their job is now like caring for these nurses and nurses are getting their asses kicked right now, by the way. Um, And so as I was talking to this, this friend of mine, this nurse manager, they shared with me that everything will be okay because they have the online uh, recognition system. So it's a website that they purchase a, a license to the organization does as a whole. And I can log in and I can send you PV five made up bonus points because you did a good job with your needle in the arm today, or a patient was happy, or a patient was really mad and hurt and you helped them to become better. And so I can send you five bonus bucks, (laughs) make up the word. Um, but the, but the problem there is that that system isn't being utilized and it isn't being recognized as something that's really meaningful for that team. Like it's there, it's a resource for them to use, but it's broken because it isn't working. Um, No one's using it. And it's also lacking that, like that actual personal connection. Um, So it's a cheap, it's a cheap, it's a really cost-effective 
way, like that the hospital can buy a license for a few cents every month for every single employee, but it isn't working. And in fact, the things that can work would be things that are better designed for the users in that scenario. Like what do those nurses want for recognition? Do they want the virtual cheeseburger? (laughs) Mm. If the answer is yes, then great. (laughs) Send each other virtual cheeseburgers all day. But if it's something else, let's explore that and help them to develop that. So that's what we're doing with that group. It's it's just fascinating. It's fun to work on. It is fascinating because on some level, what you're doing is utilizing what we know about the human mind, that we serotonin and dopamine are released when we get rewards. Like there's a, an entire reward system that happens within our brains. But if that system isn't being used, because then you would have to go one step further and try to figure out, well, how do we get people essentially addicted to this? So that, yeah, yeah, collective addiction in order to make this system work. And then you have to ask yourself, well, are we making the people feel better or are we are we actually reinforcing something that could become a problem within the workspace? Yeah. And to add, this is why I love PV, by the way, she brings in the, like the real science and makes it, it makes it all make sense. (laughs) All the work that I do, you know, it just makes it all make all, all make sense. Um, And adding to that PV, a whole layer of complexity, which is like the business case for this, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we can figure out recognition for our employees, like what, what is it? What does that save us a million dollars? Does it make us a million dollars? Um, that's the, that's the question that we work on. And so we, we look for with companies, like we look for those inefficiencies through the business really where we start a lot of the work, but, but often it comes back to like, (laughs) yeah, listen, you're, you're not really being a good steward or servant for your people. Um, And that's, that's what's at the core of a lot of really great companies um, is that there's a true, genuine, honest care for their people. Yes. Um, it, it's, it's funny, just recently, so we're recording this in February of 2022, one of our partners at Energage, Energage.com, they do like surveys all over the country of, of workplace, and then they develop a top workplaces list in different size companies. They have like large, giant companies, mid-sized, small companies. <clears throat> and uh, they take that data and turn it into who are the best places to work for. And the questions that they use on those surveys are all geared at that. Like, does, does my company care about me? And genuinely, you know, people aren't stupid. <laughs> like they, they know people are very smart. They know about the pizza party switcheroo. Have you heard about this PV? Uh, no, educate me. <laughs> The pizza party switcheroo is a classic trick. They probably did it in the 1950s when employee surveys started to become a thing. They definitely do it now. I've seen it happen. It's where you have a pizza party on a Thursday and then the employee engagement survey on a Friday. The old switcheroo. Damn, I've been a part of that. (laughs) You got got switcherooed. You got switcherooed and you didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Yeah. Listen, the pizza parties, which it's a classic trick. (laughs) Um, And it's, it speaks to a couple trends that, that we've seen like really work, you know, talking about workplace culture in a modern world, like the, the once a year employee engagement survey. Okay. Where we ask our people how they feel with the switcheroo pizza party the day before is dead. (laughs) You number one, you can't get away with it anymore right? Like people are super smart and somewhere they're going to get on Instagram and go, hashtag pizza party switcheroo. I knew it. I knew that's what they were doing. So tomorrow on the survey, I'm going to answer all negatively. You get all that, but also that the higher end survey companies and the ones that are really thoughtful about the way that they're getting data is that they're doing it more than once a year or twice a year. You know, it kind of evolved from the, the bigger organizations. We're going to do this survey twice a year now because it's better than once a year. That right. is that is true, but you're still only getting data points for two times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I always I always pull up my phone. I'm holding up my cell phone now. Like Apple, Google. Let's see what else do I have? My my text messages, DoorDash. 
they're getting data on me every second of the day, mm. which is what makes their data so powerful. Like imagine if you could get data about your people and how they're feeling and what they're bringing to work and whether or not their opinions are being heard and do they have a friend today ever, as much as that phone company is getting data. You would be able to pivot quickly. You'd be able to understand what's happening in the moment. So if you're a nurse in a hospital system and there's like a major triage event that's happening, you know and can see how that affects it in real time. You don't wait nine months <laughs> for the engagement survey to come out again. So Nat, I mean, we have all of these systems to gauge data and everything. And yes, they can be very helpful and useful, but being kind is free. That's I know. In fact, it, it enriches you. You get something out of it too. And, you, you know, we were talking about this right before we started recording about how I reached out to someone just to see how they were doing. And that turned into a massive opportunity that like, yeah. that was not the intention. I was just like, sup, bitch? How are you? <laughs> yeah. You know? I, yeah. Isn't that the amazing thing? Um, and I think, and I think one of the, like, that's, I'm, I'm, I completely agree. And my eyes are wide open. Like I'm as shocked as you are. Right. Um, but, but then again, when I stop and think about workplace culture in the modern world, like it's, it's stressful and potentially the environment in which you're working, isn't one of those top workplaces. It's a place where <clears throat> when you get hired and oriented within the first day, someone tells you how much of a jerk that Bob is and that that's Becky's parking space. It's like, whoa, 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 chill out. <laughs> Why don't we get to know each other first? Why don't we ask about you before you try to start to put this existing negative culture onto me, mm. especially as a young professional, right? Um we actually just we actually just led a retreat to Hawaii. I was telling PV about, and all of our students were studying and looking at workplace culture. And they're these are young, uh, nineteen to twenty three ish year olds. So they are looking. They're hungry for these first jobs. And one of our students did their final presentation report from the retreat on how that first job has such an effect on how you approach your work life for the rest of your career. And so if you learn that culture is supposed to suck, then guess what? When you become a boss, kindness <laughs> becomes secondary to get me that report. And mm, suddenly- Numbers, numbers, numbers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and suddenly the, the statistic of, which this is like a generic statistic, but there are different- uh, points of and, and articles and research out there that support this, that somewhere around 70% of our workforce is disengaged or unhappy in their jobs, 70%. So the odds of you getting hired into a place where someone hates their job is pretty high. Yeah. So it's going to take a real unique personality or organization, or maybe just a leader or boss or you yourself to have a real impact on the culture. And you can you can. Yes, I agree with you because so one of the things you said is like when you treat a new employee poorly, when that employee turns into a manager, they will do the same to others. And what comes to mind there is that hurt people hurt people. And like uh, this, this is beyond just workplace culture. This is our education system as well, from what I've seen from preschool to postgrad. Like when I was doing my graduate and postgraduate studies, it was just ego city and hmm. it, it almost felt like a hazing process where, and I could tell that those people were treating me the way they were treated because I treated my employees the same way. And then when I was uh, volunteering at the inner city preschool last year, right. the manager there, she was doing her doctorate and the way she treated her employees was just, they were like slaves. And I, I could see like, wow, this is all happening. She's treating them the way she was treated. And then they would yell at the kids and the kids would go home crying and she would get frustrated. And so she would get take it out on the parents. And here we were make, actively making a negative impact in our community. We were like, we were spreading it like a wildfire. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until I went in and like, 
you know, I started, uh, I implemented baby yoga and meditation mm-hmm. and my co-teacher. Uh, so I was actually the co-teacher, the teacher in there was like, wow, you're the best helper I've ever had. You've changed the way I see life. And guess what? He is now the fucking director of that place. <laughs> it changed like wow. just me being a happy, kind person, spread yeah. that to him. And he's like, no, that's how I, I prefer living life. Yeah. I love, I love your use of the word hazing because I think that's a really good and powerful and almost scary word, but it's, it doesn't have to be hazing in what I think in the traditional sense, like, you know, the, the traditional American fraternity experience where we're going to hold you down and you got to drink all this beer. And then we're going to write Sharpie marker on your face. Like we're, you're hazed. Now you're in like you survive. So now you're in like, I, I never quite understood that. And I had plenty of friends in my traditional, you know, American college experience that were part of fraternities and stories where that was absolutely not the case for sure. Like the hazing was positive. <laughs> it was about community. It was about bringing people together and connecting. Um, in my, in my own experience, it goes back to like, I remember being a freshman on the soccer team in high school and the freshman carried the water. And so, and that was it. And it was like, you have to carry the water. And it, be, it was this thing that just created this weird energy that I didn't like. So when I became a sophomore, I carried the fucking water mm. <laughs> and I walked up out of the field and it was like, oh, freshman. I'm like it, we're, we're a family here. <laughs> we got to carry the water. Who cares? Shut up. Like we're, we're done with this. And then I didn't play soccer my junior and senior year, <laughs> yeah. um, but, it, but it wasn't necessarily because of that, but it was like, mm. I've never, I've never fully understood. Maybe it's because I've landed into this like purpose-driven work with helping other people again to understand like this. I'm glad we got here, PV, because this is the big point I wrote down in my notes here that like you can create your own world. I mean, I I, I can't wait to get you onto manifesting because I knew we'd get there eventually. But it's true. It's true. Grounded. Yes. True. Um, you know, working in teams, I think it. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I'm hearing is that it boils down to relationships and how we communicate within those relationships. And like during a recent meditation of mine, it occurred to me, it was like maybe last week, it occurred to me that when we fight with ourselves, it's important to learn how to win. But when we fight with others, it's important to learn how to lose. Like that's where work is like, that's how you progress together collectively. And to understand that we're better together. There's no such thing as winning or losing between the two of us or the, a group of us. Yeah, I love that. A friend, a friend of mine just sent a, a text through this, this thread that we've had since grad school and college. And, um, and uh, it said that, you know, winning is not a, is not a, um, is not a sum game, meaning like you, it's not about winning or losing. It's about as a whole, <laughs> have we, have we moved forward? And then have we also celebrated each other? So yeah, a lot of, like you bring up another good point here, PV within like just, and this is some of the stuff that we try to do is create these conversations between individuals, between peers to allow them to have their voices heard, right? Like user-centered design, you might call design thinking, which was what we apply in a lot of the work we do. But that is the point. It's about letting people have their voices heard so they can create their own workplace in the modern world. Because I mean, look around, we, we have to, <laughs> we're in our own, we're in our own homes or, or where some of us are going back to the office or some of us are going back to the office part-time. And so we won't see the old team members we used to see. Some of us are going to get hired in places and never physically meet our coworkers. Um, and that's already here. Like that is the modern world. That's today. So, so much of the the research and some of the other like people that we get to work with or bring in as consultants talk about that simple fact, like the communication between leader and follower. There's, there's a whole line of research in leader member exchange, LMX, uh, and how, how that simply positively can, can really have an effect on the culture because also, yeah, you learn how to do it. <laughs> you see leader do it. You do the same thing. Um, it, it creates a, a positive impact from a team perspective for sure. 
I would like to clarify that for me, leader and manager are not the same thing. You can be a leader without being in management. Love it. W- would you agree? I love it. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, and I think a lot of that the the leader member exchange research is uh, is based on mostly uh, like corporate organizations where it's a very structured hierarchy, if you will. Um, and I think they use the terminology leader member exchange because it can, yeah, it can happen within a single group and the lowest member on the totem pole can, can step into a leadership position and yeah. be in a leadership position in the way that, uh, the way that they're perceived, uh, is what affects that member exchange. So some of my favorite research around that, uh, is that in that process of whoever the leader is in the room, uh, and whoever the member is or members are, those members are perceiving whether or not that leader is genuine and authentic. And that's what's dictating a lot of the communication as well. Mm. So they think, there's one article that says they think um, the members are thinking that the leader is either genuine, authentic, or they're, they're, they're acting genuinely or authentically, but they're not really, or they're deep acting, <laughs> which is like almost like evil. <laughs> like yes. we're, I'm going to pretend PV that we are, we are friends and you're doing a great job. Really good. Really good. But in the meantime, I'm like, plotting on how to fire you or something. Oh my gosh. I've actually (laughs) had a manager like that. It's fascinating because I, I have not, you know, I have not worked with a lot of places where that's the case, but that's amazing to hear. Yeah. It's amazing to hear. No, that is the case. Like in many places I have had managers like that. I've been a manager like that because I've had managers like that. And it, it took realizing that people hated me (laughs) to really, to really realize it's because I didn't necessarily love myself. Yeah. And to, and to clarify, right. That is different from what you talked about earlier and being direct in communication. Mm -hmm. We're talking about two different different. things. You can be direct in communication or you can be deep acting. (laughs) Um, you know, they're not, they're not like, uh, exclusive to each other. Um, yeah. Those are two different things. So if you could create one rule or law for all the organizations in the world, like that would change workplace culture, what would it be? Yeah. Um, man, that's a great question. <laughs> Just one thing, huh? <laughs> well, I think, I think so much of, I mean, and listen, to move the needle a little bit shouldn't be too hard. Like we just have to go from 70% to like 65% and we will have done our job, I guess. But I think in a, in a, in a perfect world, which is how I tend to think or envision and lit and try to live, I know the world isn't perfect and I'm not, and I know that, but I think the one thing that every company can do is shut up and listen to their people. So like mm-hmm. you've hired these people for a reason. And I mean that organizationally, like from the company's perspective. And I mean that from a leader's perspective, whether they're a traditional hierarchical CEO or executive or a manager in charge or someone who's asserting their own leadership within their team. Or political like, representatives. Political representatives. Shut up <laughs> and listen to what people want and need because the potential for your business to benefit from people creatively and opening openly sharing their voices becomes greater. Like you may have just hired someone who um, is, is brand new to the organization and they have some amazing ideas, but if they're not ever given the opportunity to voice their opinion, whether or not it's about a business idea or a new million dollar business line or not, the odds of them shrinking into that disengagement, if that's how they're being trained, is is higher. <laughs> yes. And so if you allow them to have their voices heard and then put some of those ideas into action and intentionally have a plan for that, like nothing, you said kindness is free, nothing stopping you all from hosting a workshop within your organizations tomorrow, get your learning and development team on this and just have people share their most creative ideas for what could make our business better or the workplace better. The end, Mm. like 
this is a this is actually a workshop we start with. It's called the perfect workplace. And it allows people to share what they want. And oftentimes the things that people want aren't the, you know, the the raise or the swimming pool or the nap pods like they have at Google, which they have, by the way, so engineers don't leave Google campus ever so they can work all the time. Yes. Um, uh, you know, that the things that people ask for are are things that don't cost a lot of money. You know, I yeah. want, I want to recognize PV because she's amazing and we get to work together. I want to get to know her better. I want to lift her up. I want to dedicate part of my time to new projects and innovation, uh, allowing your brain to think like that, <clears throat> allowing the people around you and their brains to think like that. That's going to help not just your workplace culture, but your business, your community. Um, you mentioned earlier, this, this, this ties across to education. I think it does. I think it ties across to family life. Mm -hmm. um, I think it ties across to like anything you could imagine, any kind of system or community you're a part of for right. sure. Because we're part of organizations. Like that is the paradox of being human. You're an individual and part of organizations at the same time. Right. Um, yeah. That's, see, if I could add one thing to workplace culture, I feel like things like conscious conversations, for example, one hour on Fridays at noon, just like, let's just do this. Cause it, it gets the gears moving in a different kind of way. And it translates into other areas of your life. Like, you know, so third nature has conscious conversations. Mm -hmm. And at first I didn't join, but they, I was on the email list. So it kept showing up on my calendar. So one day I was like, uh, okay, fine. Let me try this out. Yep. And life-changing, life-changing. It developed my communication skills. It just like, that is so important. It developed my communication skills. I learned how to communicate with people and build yeah. relationships. And that translated into other areas of my life. And now I'm taking what I've learned there and planting seeds, not weeds, seeds that will one day grow into trees under whose shade other people will be able to sit. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's a that's a simple like, you know, answer to like, okay, what do we do? Yeah, I think I think often companies think about and more and more in today's world, like there are opportunities for the employees of an organization to say, this is what I need. This is what I want. Like I want to organize a conscious conversation. I need 1 hour every week. I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there and see if people will show up. Great. Like the only thing a company should say about that is that's a great idea. Go do it. Can yeah. I come? Can I be yeah. on the invite list? Like, yeah, of course you can. Um, it's, 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 it's something that's going to make people more efficient in their, in their own life and their work, which yes, why not? <laughs> why not? Although I, when I was working at the preschool, I did have ideas to create workshops to, for team building mm -hmm. exercises. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And the manager told me no, because team yeah. building would bring us together. And that just makes me think, okay, if we are, we're brought together, we're, we're stronger together. Right. Yeah. And Maybe that, was, was that, go ahead. Yeah, was was there was this the PhD they were working on? Like on is it like a social experiment they were doing on the preschool no or idea. something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. Interesting. But you know, so these things do in fact happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and some of them, you know, happen intentionally, and some of them happen unintentionally because of all the things we've talked about, like the way people are trained, the way they think they should communicate, um, the the influence they think they have or they need to have. Uh, it's it's fascinating to really hear and see from people about what their true intentions are and what they're bringing to work. But another, you know, another reason for why a simple solution like a conscious conversation could be something really valuable in your workplace to allow for people to really understand each other's intentions and what, what motivates them, what their purpose is, you know, what the voices that they're either developing or wanting to scream from the rooftops. Like it's... Mm. Yes, we, we need to understand each other better. Yes. So yeah, what is your ideal vision for the future of humanity? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I know these lofty questions, but you know, Whoa. somebody's got to ask them. <laughs> the ideal vision for the future of humanity. Um, I think it would have to be a, a realistic 
vision. Like I, I've, I was, I've had an interesting background in history. And as I tell more people about it and get out and speak to groups and lead more and more workshops about, you know, culture, I always share a little bit about my history. So I was, I was born and raised in an amazing environment in Hershey, Pennsylvania, um, where there is like zero crime and it's a great place to, to spend the first 18 years of your life. It's an amazing place. And then compounded on top of that, uh, I had two amazing influences early in my life in my parents. My mom, who was an art teacher, my dad, who was a gifted director for a local elementary school program. And so my whole life was about not necessarily the answer is A, B, or C, but like you come up with the question <laughs> and you develop the answer. And and like, as long as you're not hurting anyone, <laughs> uh, go for it. Like take a risk, be creative, have fun. And I was rewarded for that constantly. And I, God, it's been like almost 40 years and I still feel like I'm getting rewarded for that. It's uh, weird. There's and a, go ahead. I'm, so yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. I I cut you off because okay. what, there's this story that you told us during Third Nature that I'd really like for you to share with the, uh, the listeners about the golf course that you created as a child, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is it's so relevant to what you're speaking of. Yeah, it's one of my it's one of my my best stories. And it helps you to frame like I started with a lot of the workshops that I start with. I say, like, I believe we can make your workplace or the world a better place. And I'm dumb enough to believe that because here is the influence in which I grew up with. So imagine five-year-old Nat, okay, growing, I was a little, I was a little bit shorter, uh, growing up on, no joke, our house was on Chocolate Avenue in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Like it doesn't get much more idyllic than that. We had the green grass backyard. It wasn't a white picket fence, but it was fenced in and it was a safe place. It was a happy place. It smelled good. I mean, you can't get much better than that. Literally smelled like chocolate down the street. And so I, I thought my idea for that day, you know, the new thing I was going to create was a golf course in my backyard, like a mini golf course. So I took my dad's trowel and I went outside and I started digging holes all throughout the backyard. Dug, 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 dug. And, and I hear the back door swing open and I turn and look and there is my dad on the back porch and he's staring at his green grass and his five-year-old maniac son who has dug, who has dug up holes all across the backyard. And Tony Measley screams out, Nathaniel, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> These holes aren't long enough. The grass needs to be cut shorter. We got to get the lawnmower out. And you only have eight holes. A traditional golf course is nine holes. Like what <laughs> are you doing? And I, of course, was like, yeah, duh. Like that's, that's, this is how I remember the story. And listen, my dad wasn't always that positive, but that's for whatever reason, that's the story I remember. And he like brought out cups from the kitchen that we could put down in the holes to use. We cut off like plastic cups. So they fit in the hole. I mean, who the fuck does that? Mm, who's who's reaction? Yeah. My dad did that. Whose reaction is that? But it's because his training, you know, he learned he was teaching young people about that, that like they can be creative. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he was an amazing influence. My mom was the same, you know, she, she probably came out with, with spray paint to mark off the lines where we had to hit. And then of course they played the golf course. Like who does that? Okay. It's, it's weird. I've, I've learned to realize how rare and weird that is. And so that's the, that's the, like, I don't get that all the time anymore. Um, uh, you know, I, I get it. I think when I'm out leading workshops and, and, and people like you, PV are telling me like, that's rare. Nat. That's weird. That's in, and in, you told me after I told you that story the first time, that's an inspiring story. And I was just like, what? That's again, why? Um, and so I'm so naive that I don't even understand that. So I wish that in the, your, your question about what the, the perfect future world could look like, it's, it's a little bit more of that. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think people are going to change on a dime to go from like, screw you, Palvache, you suck to like, Palvache, with your podcast, it was amazing. Why? <laughs> Why don't you add some neon lights and blinking this and that? Like, because that's what I'm up about, Nat. Neon lights. <laughs> oh, no, I know. It's so stupid. Um, so no, I wish there I was a little more. Saying. Like, yeah. to encourage creativity. 
and exploration rather than to shut it down be like what are you doing it's like at the end of the day it's just dirt yeah yeah and and i spent so the better part of my my professional career i was the ceo of a consulting firm that we would help companies to create these fun engagements and initiatives at work the company was literally called the fun department so I, I sold my interest in that company at the end of 2017 to start yourculturedesign.com. But like we used to do this and the companies we would work with weren't ones where that wasn't happening, but we were maybe that moment for that company. Like I remember the leader of a plumbing company, they would bring all the plumbers together at 7.30 in the morning to do some fun exercise with us because they all had to be on their trucks and to their first stop by 8 a.m., and so the leader of that company would consistently say, um, his name is Tim Bolden. He runs Bolden Brothers Plumbing in, in Wilmington, Delaware, and the Delaware area. It's a great company, and they take care of their people. And he would say to his employees before our fund initiatives, like, we're going to spend more time today at work than we are with our families. So here's your moment. <laughs> here's a moment. You know, and, and you can imagine the intentional design around that so that when they go fix someone's toilet, they're also saying, hey, I'll never believe what I did this morning before I got in my truck. Um, tell me about you. What do you think? It's, it, the hope was it would permeate. Um, we never really studied it to see if it worked, but it was, it was, there's room for it, right? There's room for an hour conscious conversation. There's room for a 15-minute a workshop on, on fun. There's room for a perfect workplace discussion. There's room for people to listen to each other. It's there. The moments are possible. So the perfect world in the future, like just a little more, just a little more of that, I think is, is what I would hope for and what I'm hopeful that we can get to. That's, I love it. I love your optimistic yet grounded perspective. And like you are one of the leaders in our collective community that is pushing the boundaries and moving us forward in a more meaningful kind of way. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, you know, I, I don't think of myself as that often. So it's, it's encouraging to hear that, you know, it's you're, you're Tony measly me right now. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just like, you feel good, right? This interaction now, both you and I are going to go off into our worlds and it's going to carry this hour long conversation is going to carry into the rest of our days. And we're going to treat the people that we meet just a little nicer, just a little yep. more compassionately and encourage their creativity and exploration. Yeah. 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 I hope so. And I, th- and I think it's possible. And some of it means like swallowing your own pride or your own potential past experiences, which I understand isn't always easy, right? Like we carry, especially in today's world. And since, you know, since March of 2020, like we've all carried a burden of some level of new stress we didn't experience before. I think almost mm-hmm. everyone on the planet. Um, and uh, hope, hopefully we can like recognize that and realize that other people are bringing that to the conversation too. So if you're inspired by this podcast and you run out into the streets with your streamers and your fireworks and your neon lights um, and you start to yell at people to be happier, like just expect that you might get punched in the face. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you although you did say, <laughs> yes, you're right. You might get punched in the face, <laughs> which is interesting. That is then known to happen in Boston as well. I see uh, on a regular basis. Um, but, you know, you mentioned that like almost everyone in the world um, has like had like this burden on their shoulders since uh, since this whole pandemic began. And mm-hmm. You know, that may be the case, but there are a few of us and Sarah Kubrick, she's the millennial therapist on Instagram. That is her public persona. Um, Mm -hmm. She I heard a podcast with her and she does say that, like, you know, the people who had traumatic or trauma in their lives before the pandemic when the pandemic hit, in fact, they were able to release a lot of it because they were like, okay, this is actually not that big of a deal. Like her family fled from a war in Kosovo. Oh, wow. Where, you know, I was, I was in deep depression in the beginning of the pandemic. And actually, mm-hmm. I, I shed a lot of that um, from during that time. Yeah, uh, that's, that's fascinating. That's amazing. 
um, that's really that's a really interesting and different perspective. So maybe as a leader, understanding again a case for understanding who your people are, what they're bringing to the to the work environment, or again the family or <laughs> the nonprofit board of directors we're sitting on, or whatever it may be. Um, that that again, your lived experience is what you're bringing to everything all day. Uh, so the more you can understand those people around you, the more you can pick and choose and figure out and intentionally help with how to, again, add that little bit of like happiness or support or cheerleading, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. All right, Nat. Well, if more people want to hmm. find out about what you're doing, where can they find you? Yeah, it's really easy. Yourculturedesign.com is is my new baby. Um, we we kind of got together a group of um, workplace culture experts and some data companies, uh, some partners and trainers around the world, really, uh, to help workplaces with this question of why <laughs> so many of them are wasting millions of dollars and thousands of hours on employee engagement and retention, recruitment, recognition programs that just don't work. So we look at workplace culture as a business problem that can be solved by your people power. But go to yourculturedesign.com, be in touch with us. We have um, we have a list of different things and ways we can help you. There's, there's free content out there as well that you can access. Um, speakers for events, uh, support for, for your workshops and training initiatives, whatever you need, because honestly, every, every workplace of every size is very different uh, and their goals are very different. So yeah, come join us at yourculturedesign.com. That's easy. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. PB. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure and I wish you nothing but Happy moments uh, for at least the rest of this week. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>